Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. You may be seated. And as you are, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Some of you, I know, are thankful that it's printed in the bulletin and you're not having to turn. It's, it's one of those minor prophets that sometimes get left out in our reading, not for desire to leave them out, but because we get hung up in Chronicles. And so Habakkuk, if you've not turned there before or in a while, just start at Matthew and go five books to the left, and you'll find it. Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. The word of God or the people of God. I want to posit something to you. You don't have to... You don't have to ponder it too long right now, but perhaps think about it this afternoon. I want to to posit this, that our doubt 
our struggles, our fears often arise when we try to place God in a box. What do I mean? Well, we expect God to work the way that we want Him to work. We, we expect to be able to wrap our minds around this glorious One who is the Creator of all there is, things seen, things unseen, who is unlike us and yet came to us. And yet we try to tame Him. We, we, try to, we try to bring Him down to our minds so that we can comprehend Him. And so, well, we start to struggle when we try to fit Him neatly into our categories, into our boxes. And so we want Him to do the things the way that we understand, and the way that we would feel okay with them. And that way we can wrap our brains around it Forgetting that our minds have been tainted by sin. Think about it. God is often merciful when we want wrath. You see that with Jonah, don't you? Here, Jonah is sent to a people who will just in less than a hundred years absolutely obliterate, destroy Israel will raise them and will will cause them to be wiped out and scattered to the winds. And God sends Jonah to preach that they might repent and what? He has mercy. Jonah was expecting wrath. Ezekiel, sometime after Habakkuk, not very long, but sometime into the exile that's about to happen, that's what Habakkuk is prophesying, Ezekiel is down in Babylon by those rivers, and he, well, he thinks that God cannot move. He's trained for the ministry up in Jerusalem. He trained there for a while, and now they don't have the temple, they don't have the sacrifices, they don't have anything, and he doesn't know what to do, and well, if you've ever read Ezekiel chapter 1, you know that God cannot be contained to a place. And he expected, well, he expected God to be one way, and God was unexpected. There are times, too, that God, well, God surprises us. We want answers to our questions. We see calamity, we have hardships, difficulty, things come to us, and we expect God to give us all of the answers. Ask Job how that went. Do you see? Our problems with belief, with doubt, with struggle, with trial, all of those things come to us when we have tried to neatly package God and contain Him and wrap Him up. And yet, well, He's like Aslan. You've read the Chronicles of Narnia, and if you haven't, shame on you. We've been pushing it for several months now. You've read The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. You've read others, I'm sure. And what happens as the children get to know Aslan? He doesn't become smaller in their minds. He doesn't become smaller in their conception. 
only bigger. Only bigger. Habakkuk is about to experience God bigger than he imagined. Habakkuk is having to deal with the hardship of what he sees going on around him and wrap his mind around it. And he comes to God with questions that ought to encourage you. It's not wrong to bring your questions to God. It's not wrong to come to Him and ask Him and to fall down on your face before Him. Habakkuk shows us this. No, when we have those questions, we ought to come. And so we need to be reminded over and over and over, just as Habakkuk is about to be reminded, who is Lord? We look around with our eyes and we are disheartened and yet the Lord calls us to faith. Because the reality is not that God is not at work, but that we just don't like what we see. And we don't understand what God's doing. And so then, it is okay to bring your questions because that's what Habakkuk is going to teach us this text this very morning. Is teaching us that when we, when we are discouraged by what we see with these eyes, we must trust God by faith. And we must take the next step. When, when we are discouraged by what we see with these eyes, we have to trust the Lord who we don't see, and yet we love by faith. And we take the next step. We're going to look at that in three points this morning. We're going to see firstly Habakkuk's context. Who is this guy? Why is he coming to us? Why do we need to listen to him? Then we're going to see, so we see Habakkuk's context. Then we're going to see his question. Habakkuk's questions. That's verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to see Jehovah's answer. Verses 5 through 11. Habakkuk's context. Habakkuk's question. Jehovah's answer. What's the context of Habakkuk? Well, like, any, like anything else, when you want to learn, you begin by asking questions. Who is Habakkuk? If I were to give you an assignment to go home, and no Google, you can't cheat. You know, no, no Bible gateway, no, no electronic. If I were to send you home with an assignment to search the Old Testament and come back next week and tell me about Habakkuk, you wouldn't be able to tell me anything. Who is Habakkuk? Well, we know he's a prophet. He just bursts on the scenes, but he, he only is mentioned twice in all of the Old Testament. He's not like Jeremiah who who is well known and has a pedigree. He's ministered for 50 years by the time the the close of his book. And and we know where he's from and where he's going. He's not like Amos, that we know Amos wasn't a prophet or a son of a prophet, but the Lord called him to become a prophet. No, he's not like those guys. Habakkuk, he just is. He bursts onto the scene with this burden. And he's only mentioned twice. And both of those times are in this book. And neither of those times tells us anything about him. Chapter 1 and verse 1, 
The oracle of Habakkuk, or the oracle, the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk. So who is Habakkuk? He's a prophet. He's a prophet used by God in a mighty way, though we don't know anything about him. So when did he write? Well, he's writing in the last days of the southern kingdom. In the last days before Judah is carried off into exile, he is a contemporary of Jeremiah. We don't know at what end of uh, Jeremiah's ministry. We think toward the end. We think he's in those last kings. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakin, tricky, but they're different. Jehoiakin and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. He's writing then. And he's writing that, that the church might hear and be called to repentance. He's writing in Judah. The northern kingdom has fallen uh, some hundred years beforehand. Judah should have repented by now. They should have seen what happened. They should have heard the prophets and they should have repented. And yet, well, they carry on in their idolatry. They worship Baal in the land of the Lord. They set up Ashtaroth poles in the place where God had told them to drive out all the idols. And so he's laboring here. And he's writing to... Well, it's interesting because if you're like me... Most of the time, if you're not reading carefully and you're not thinking very well, you think the prophets are writing to the nations out there. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they speak to those nations, but it's only when those nations have come up against God's people. No, no, no. He's writing to the church. He's writing to God's people. God's covenant people because they had acted unfaithfully. And so he writes to the church. And that ought to be a cause for us as we begin to undertake Habakkuk to pull up short and to reflect. Are we a people following Jehovah? Are we following after Him in love to Him? Then we see, of course, Habakkuk in this context. He is a man full of questions But he's thrust upon the Lord. There, in the middle of the book, we are told, well, Habakkuk, you may may not understand what you see. You may not understand what's going on around you, but watch and wait, because the just shall live by faith. And so that's his context. He's a man disturbed by what he sees, called to live by faith. So what are the questions that he's asking as he's looking around? What what are the questions that he has? Well, before you get to the question, you need to understand his heart. The ESV here, it translates it this way in verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's that's okay, but it doesn't really convey the text. The, The word is actually burden. And it's a word used throughout the Old Testament when, an, when a, uh, a donkey is laden with, with the goods for carrying. It's a burden upon him. Well, Habakkuk is coming with a burden. And what is that burden? Verse 2. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me to see iniquity, and why? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. He's burdened. He's burdened because this wasn't the world. Uh, this, This wasn't the world that he expected within God's people. They're not the world. They're not outside. No, this this is God's people that He's calling out against. They are the violent ones. They are the ones who have rejected the prophets and set up idolatry. And they, they're acting like the world and so judgment's coming. We don't expect the world to act like the church. That's moralism, right? You don't just clean up on the outside. I think Jesus had something to say about that. You don't just clean up on the outside and pretend like everything's okay. No, these are the people that were supposed to be clean on the inside by the work of God. And yet Habakkuk is saying they are, they are full of injustice, full of violence, full of iniquity. What about you? Do you look around at times? Are you ever burdened by what you see going on throughout the world and in the church? Where do you turn when that happens? When you are burdened, when you are pressed down, when you have been done wrong by those who are supposed to be your brothers and sisters? Do you vent on social media? Do, do, you, do you turn to the next article? No, you turn to where Habakkuk turns. And where does he turn? He turns to the Lord, doesn't he? He turns to the Lord when things are, things are inexplicable in his mind. He turns and pours out his heart before him. He does, as Isaiah says, he takes hold of God when others weren't. And what does he say? How long? How, how long? You don't usually ask that at the beginning. You usually ask that toward the middle or near the end, unless you're a child. And for those of you who have young children and you've taken trips, you understand. But we don't know Habakkuk, but we know he's at the end. We don't know his age. He could have been preaching and teaching and calling for years. And he's expected God to have done something before now. And God hasn't moved in the way that he's expected. And so he's calling out still. Here's the question. When you do face something that burdens you within the church, maybe maybe it's a covenant child who's walked away. Maybe it's a brother or a sister in the Lord who has caused offense and they will not have interaction with you. Maybe, maybe it is something else within the church, within the walls, within the the confines of those who are supposed to be your closest brothers and sisters. How long do you put up with them before you give up? Do you continually go to the Lord? Do you cry out and come to Him? 
When, when there's sin involved, do you turn to Him because His glory, His glory is worth more than your pride? Habakkuk. Habakkuk is crying out. Does he really think that the Lord hasn't heard? Well, no, no, he knows better than that. This is the Almighty God. No, no, it's that, well, the Lord hasn't acted yet upon his prayer. We're like that, aren't we? We try to put God within a time constraint of our own. We try to confine him into that box, and so we sink into despair. How long, O oh Lord? And the Lord has to remind us, doesn't He? He's Lord. He moves when He moves. He acts when He acts. And you, well, you need to just trust Him. Listen to what Calvin says of this before we move on to the Lord's answer. The prophet was not here impelled by a carnal passion, as it often happens to us when we defend ourselves from wrongs done to us. For when any one of us is injured, he immediately becomes incensed, while at the same time we suffer God's law to be a sport, his whole truth to be despised, and everything that is just to be violated. We are only tender on what concerns us individually. And in the meantime, we easily forgive when God is wronged and His truth is despised. The prophet here shows that he was not made indignant through a private feeling, but because he could not bear the profanation of God's worship and the violation of His holy law. Are you moved to God when you are burdened? Are you moved to Him because His glory is at stake in your own life or in the life of those who have caused offense? Habakkuk doesn't understand and so he calls out to God and then God answers, doesn't he? How does the Lord answer? For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their injustice and dig their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. How does the Lord answer? He gives Habakkuk a word of comfort. So you raise your eyebrows. You're, you're not comforted, are you? You're not comforted because you are expecting the Lord to come back with a different answer. You too have put Him in a box. But how can you find comfort here? How is it that the Lord can come to Habakkuk who's crying out and he's saying, Lord, I see violence, I see iniquity among your people. And the Lord says, okay, here comes some more violence. And that be a word of comfort. Well, I skipped it. I didn't the first time, but I did that time. Go back to verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be Astounded, for I am doing a work in your days, 
that you would not believe if told. Here's the reality. When things are in a swirl, when you don't know which way is up, which way is down, which way is right or left, when you are caught up in the whirlwind that is a a life in a sinful fallen world, when you are there, you must not forget that the Lord is at work. And even when difficulty and struggle and trial and hardship and even what appears like harshness come upon you, You must remember that the Lord is the one who brings them. The Lord who is faithful. The Lord who is gentle and merciful. The Lord who will never cast you off, but will always give mercy to His people. Oh, this is a hard mercy. (laughs) This, This doesn't look like the mercy that you would want. And it's not. But it's a mercy to them that He doesn't leave them in their sin, but uses this to draw them back, to call them to repentance, to call them to Himself. And so He speaks this word that sounds nothing like comfort, but it's a word that Habakkuk needs to hear because too long he had been looking with his eyes. You see, The Christian faith is not a faith of seeing. It is a faith of hearing. And even though Habakkuk was looking around and seeing wickedness and seeing destruction and seeing wrong, and he would see horses and riders and those who were outside come in, he must have the faith of hearing. And in hearing, trust God. Sight never saved anyone. The children of Israel looked on the mountain as it smoked and thundered and rattled and and all of those things and it only scared them and they wandered off. No, it's the hearing that's necessary. And so the Lord brings him this word and he says to him, I am doing something and it's not unto death, it's unto life to you if it brings you to repentance. And so here's the question for you. Perhaps you right now are in that world of turmoil. Perhaps you are spinning. Perhaps you are looking with the eyes and you see everything upside down. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's an issue in your family. Maybe you've lost your job. Whatever it may be, stop looking with those eyes. And look with the eyes of faith. And the eyes of faith are the ears. And hear the word of the Lord. Hear the promise of the Lord that He is at work even in your worst of days and that He will work all things together for the good of those who love Him. Hear that. Trust that. And take the next step. That's how you live in a world where where the eyes can lie to you. As if God's not in control. As if He's not over everything that you see. As if He's let it go and left it to itself. And evil upon evil is happening. But you need to have the eyes of faith. And hear that the Lord is at work. So where do you go when you're burdened? Where do you go when you're pushed down and and you can't make another step? Where do you go? When you are distressed. Hear John Flavel. 
Whatever be the grounds of one's distress, it should drive him to, not from, God. We're going to come to the table in just a moment. The, the eyes of seeing see only bread and see only wine. But the eyes of faith have heard the Lord Jesus Christ tell you exactly what this is. That, that you come by faith and you feed on Him. Now it remains bread, it remains wine, but you feed upon Him spiritually. And when you, by faith, see what's there before you, you understand that the Lord can take the greatest evil that has ever been perpetrated and work the greatest and most glorious end that the world has ever seen. That those who once rebelled would be brought home. That those who once hated would be made sons and daughters through the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're coming this morning as we move to the table and you you are in a world of doubt perhaps your faith has been shaken you have experienced evil that others just cannot imagine in your past and you you don't even know if you can take another step maybe you ask is this table for me and the glorious reality is that, that as you come, He promises not to snuff out a smoldering wick. He won't break a bruised reed. And even if that faith is small and low, understand that it's not, it's not the strength of your resolve and of your faith that the efficacy of the supper rests but upon His person and work. And so as you come, if you're topsy-turvy, if you come in faith, oh, the Lord, though you only see bread and wine, the Lord offers Himself to you that you might feed in faith. And there see His glorious work. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, do Your work in us that we might draw near to You. Do Your work in us that we might see with the eyes of faith by hearing Your promise to us. Bless, we ask. Bless and give us true sight. In Jesus' name, Amen.